Welcome to Rocco Radio. I'm Jason Bryan, and you're listening to Well Connected. In this week's Well Connected, I got the chance to meet Vicky Slight, Chief Perfect Officer at Perfect Limited. Following roles in GSMA, Motorola, and BT Cellnet, Vicky has started her own business, Perfect Limited, and tells us in this podcast about the GC index and how diversity and inclusion need much more focus in the business world, as well as in the ever-expanding world of artificial intelligence. There are women in the industry, and there are women at very senior levels in the industry, and, and women are needed because in order to be successful, you need to have diverse teams that reflect the needs, wants, and requirements of the society and the people you know that you're selling the products and services to, whether it's emerging markets or Western world, etc. So I'm happy to be here with Vicky Slate. Vicky, welcome to Well Connected. Hello, um, and thank you for, for speaking to me today. Vicky, what are you doing these days? What's your current role? What's your job title? My job title today is Chief Perfect Officer at the <laughs> Perfect Limited. <laughs> um, Perfect is a company. Yes, it is. Um, it's a company I set up after I left GSMA about two years ago, and a company where I wanted to help other organisations with new technologies for a complex world, bringing in the diversity and inclusion approach, and bringing together the level of expertise that we have in building initiatives such as Connected Women, which I devised for the GSMA and for the mobile industry, and also policy and events and bringing together collaboration on a global and senior scale whether it is through larger scale events or through thought leadership round table type events of which you know I have a few examples of that but that's basically what I'm doing now and why it's chief perfect officer instead <laughs> of um, CEO is because you know it's it's perfect limited and actually it was a friend of mine who is an amazing marketeer who said to me Vicky with a name and branding like this you can't just be CEO so actually, I can't take full credit for the Chief Perfect Officer. Some people like it, some people don't, but, you know, hey, <laughs> I like it. It must be something quite to live up to, to be perfect. Yes, that is the <laughs> challenge. But, you know, one strives every day to, you know, to do the best, particularly in terms of the work that we do. And I am a perfectionist, and so hopefully, you know, that comes across. And particularly when there's passion involved, which is around, you know, diversity and inclusion and the work that we do for women in the industry. Going back, way back to before you started in the GSMA, what was the first, let's say, pivotal career step for you? I think the career step for me, I was working after doing the budget traveling around the world. I came home with £10 in my pocket and I was determined to catch up with all the people that had done graduate schemes. I went to work for a marketing agency and I was an account executive for a um, multiple grocer. And my specialism became that of sales promotion from a marketing perspective. And then I was hired by the mobile industry. Back then it was BT Cellnet, which then became O2 and I was pivotal as part of that transition actually in terms of changing mindsets and hearts within the company for the brand change. I think that was around the year 2000. 
And I it was, was also Sudan. there at that time. Yes, so you see. So we, yeah, we, our paths have crossed a number of times. So that is when I got into product marketing. Because back in those days, of course, even WAP wasn't around yet. So this was about promoting traffic line, promoting voicemail, SMS messaging. And I was there when they first brought out MMS, you know, at first launch, you know, in terms of getting people to use it. And then as, you know, as the first smartphone came in, so the XDA, you know, and trying to get those through the door, you know, getting people to understand, not just, of course, because it's not just the markets, the business to business side and getting the sales teams in, in retail to understand, you know, the benefits of it so they can talk about it. Because of course, back in those days, much longer sale time in the store. As a young girl, I never thought, of a career in mobile because like today most of the jobs of tomorrow for young people don't yet exist right. and mobile didn't exist when I was young <laughs> so I almost feel like I I fell into it but then stayed in it and still am in it sort of all these years on so um, I guess that's where it all really started and from BT Cellnet mm-hmm. what was your next step what did you do next after that well, I was part of Project Breathe, which is when the company uh, rebranded to O2. So my next move, I felt like I had hit a ceiling. And I think that was the first time as a female that I'd actually started to feel something around the whole diversity piece, although I don't think I'd fully recognised it yet. And I went for an interview at Motorola and they'd forgotten I was turning up for an interview. So I ended up seeing one of the senior VPs and we got on really well and I you know, was talking through all these ideas. So my next step was to go into product marketing at Motorola. And I was there in the days of you know, the triplets and before the Razer V3 and also the MPX range. So you know, when email on any other phone other than a BlackBerry when that first came into play. And also I I remember being very passionate about the fact that you could use GPS on a phone. I was moving into the role of heading up product marketing for EMEA plus India at this time in Motorola, um, in Motorola which so you know my career and my learning in Motorola was amazing and it's a company that I still I think of very fondly I always have and I think I always will and you know the whole hello motto and I remember doing a desk drop on the sales guys' um, desks in the office um, in Basingstoke in the UK because I was so passionate about the fact that, you know, GPS on phones, of course it was going to work. And uh, By know, GPS, you mean global positioning yes. satellite, of course. Yes. Um, and we had, I think the phone at the time was called the A780, which was with the Microsoft operating system. I was working with Microsoft at the time um, to kind of, you know, look at how we promoted this from a product marketing perspective internally um, as well as externally. And I just truly believed in this. And, you know, then we came up with a puck, a Bluetooth puck that would, you know, link to the MPX range of phones. And, and, you know, but I think we were way ahead of our time. And I think Motorola was way ahead of its time um, for quite some time. So I'm really pleased to kind of look back and think, yeah, I was at the forefront. I did see that just like I saw, you know, people would want Facebook embedded on phones and somebody once said to me, but it's only for kids. Facebook's only for kids. And, And this is way back then. And I said, well, I use Facebook and I'm not a kid. 
So it was interesting and it's always interesting to look back. And of course, the days of the Razor V3 when every five seconds in the UK alone, you know, one was flying out the doors of a car phone warehouse. And of course, then they made it pink because they think that's all girls want. And, and yes, it was extremely <laughs> successful. Um, but we need more than just different paint colours now. So, <laughs> um, as we did even then. So, yeah, I have very, very fond memories of my time at Motorola. You were saying that, you know, you started to understand that maybe a role in diversity was something that you wanted when you were in BT Cellnet. Were you able to influence uh, diversity in Motorola, would you say? I think I had other things that I was doing first. One thing I was very proud of when I was at Motorola was I got them to start talking about experiences. I actually built the product marketing team for EMEA. I had a great boss at the time, Stephen Doran, who had complete faith and belief in me. And I said, we need to start talking about experiences rather than boxes. And that's exactly what we did, which went then into, into front-end planning. And one of my greatest achievements, we um, and I remember being so pleased as punch, at our annual sales conference, which always used to be held in January, which is about our new devices, competitor devices, and getting the sales team on board with, you know, how that worked. And they got me up on stage to this theme of Rocky, which I wasn't quite sure why that was the theme of Rocky, but it was. And I used to run those events, and we do them so creatively um, to get people engaged. You know, I would build airport lounges. One year, we were in Italy in Sorrento, and I was still onto this GPS thing. So I had shipped in golfing carts from Rome and Milan and they would sort of rotate in different groups to learn about the different experiences and I said you know okay this phone is hooked up to this Bluetooth puck and we started off we pretended we were in this airport lounge and this was about the MPX range so it's about business phones and I said okay to get your coffee break you're going to get now in the golf and buggies you will follow the route that the GPS takes you on and that will take you to your coffee shop and that was me getting everybody on board with wow. understanding how GPS worked and I was told if that went wrong that whole idea went wrong then I would be in trouble and I was like no it will work and I think that's where I started becoming very good at getting people on board with what I was doing and and events and then when senior management stood on stage and started talking about experiences I think that's when I felt really proud and where I had made a difference and I think Motorola itself at that time I was inspired because it was diverse there were some senior women there were women at the top and again I think that's where they were way ahead and I was at Motorola for five years and it was great training for me but you know they're kind comes a time when you need to leave. I then had a loss in the family and I wanted to go home for some time and then I freelanced for a little while, actually outside of the mobile industry. And, you know, it was good for me to have six to eight months out. And then the GSMA interviewed me and lo and behold, next I was back in London and, um, yeah. So what was your first role in the GSMA? Joining the GSMA at that time must have been very interesting because GSMA has always been growing and the membership of course had established but it was also diversifying, right? Again, I was brought into GSMA as, well, I was brought in as a director for membership. And the reason for my hire, I was told, was because I was different, because I would go against the mould of what GSMA was in terms of the people. The reason I was hired was because at the time, they had just moved the headquarters from Ireland over to London. And the membership team was only a team of two. And they wanted somebody to come in who knew how to build a proposition and build on that. And that's exactly what I did, and which is why I was then promoted to senior director for membership. And I still had that role up until the time I left. 
And what I did with membership was I grew the team and I'm really pleased to see that that growth has continued across the different regions. I grew the membership in terms of, obviously, with the, the global operators, the, the full members, you know, and actually that, that number started getting smaller as the mergers and acquisitions obviously um, grew in number. But actually diversifying membership and, you know, as the industry itself diversified, you know, opening up the categories on associate membership, i.e. the vendors, um, giving them more benefits because, you know, they needed to be part of the associate and that was always taken on board and you know whether it was opening up to financial services or opening up to car manufacturers and again that's continued to grow as GSMA has grown and back at the time I think it was 350 people and I think what they must be at a thousand now with many officers across the world and so yeah it was a good time I've always seen myself as and this is through experience as a change agent I believe that that's what I did at GSMA and I you know I brought in CRM so that we knew our members better I grew the team so that we could have the experts and service the operators needs as much as possible but also bring to the forefront the vendors and and how they could offer the benefits to the network operators and that's what I did and I, I built the proposition up as I said and then when it came to Mobile World Congress, we didn't really have a presence there from a membership perspective. And in terms of showcasing, you know, the, the initiatives that, that GSMA were running, which were, you know, are still extremely important, of course. I, I worked hard to get a 300 square meter double deck stand that we would build to showcase the initiatives to the whole industry. And of course, to allow a place for members to come and network in the members lounge upstairs every day. And because all of the members from around the world there because you can there's only so much traveling you can do it was a great way and I have a very very extensive network in the industry you know all the way through to senior leadership of both men and women and of that I'm very proud and I'm still in touch of course with many people and so yeah so that's what I was doing and where I took membership to in GSMA. What was the trigger what was the the moment that you realized that something needed to be done about diversity in the tech industry? I think we all know when you go to events, it doesn't matter whether it's Mobile World Congress or if it's any of the other events, you can have 188 countries represented. You can be in a venue with 100,000 people. It will be male-dominated. There are women in the industry and there are women at very senior levels in the industry and, and women are needed because in order to be successful, you need to have diverse teams that reflect the needs, wants and requirements of the society and the people you know that you're selling the products and services to, whether it's emerging markets or western world etc and I think that's when I started talking to some of the members particularly the female members and we were talking about actually the global mobile awards somebody asked me a question and said why isn't there one for women and of course being the senior director for membership I took that back and of course now there are these awards and connected women is a full initiative and it is now women for tech and the women for tech awards are an important part of the global mobile awards and then the first time I think we tested it out so mobile asia congress then was in hong kong and I worked really hard to pull together a, a round table of women senior women in hong kong and I managed to pull it off, but of course it was hard because there was no, there were no women there. There was no, there was no precedent for women to get together in no. tech at that time. No, there certainly wasn't. And um, I think I, I managed to get senior level sponsorship to help me get 
women there that weren't necessarily coming to the event and we discussed what was needed and that's where it was born and then we did kind of another smaller event which I organized for London and the the take up on it was amazing and you know our director general was there um was part of it and you know we launched with that and then we had the big launch on a two-day event in Brussels um, on the side of one of the GSMA 360 events and again super successful It wasn't just about having an event. For me, it was really important, and still is, that you have outcomes. There is no point meeting just for the sake of meeting. And at the two-day Brussels event, I got the senior thought leaders together, and both days we had a round table. And at the time, when we launched in 2012 in Brussels, we were very much in research phase. And I had a lot of people in that room saying to me, well, this is what you need to do, GSMA. This is what you need to do. And I said, actually, no, we need to take and be a collective because me as connected women in GSMA is just me and I need support and I need everybody to be involved and so we looked at the research that was out there some of it was very old very US based as well it's not about women sitting in a room and saying woe is me it's about how women can have of all cultural backgrounds you know from all different regions it's about women um, and the impact that we have on technology so I myself if I'm asked to speak at an event I will not go and speak at an event because I'm the token woman and I'm there to be asked about what it's like to be a woman in this industry I want to be asked to speak because I'm an expert in my field and I'm on that panel because I deserve to be on that panel and if you know there's still so many pictures of you know events where it's all male panel and it's like it's not representative of society and it's not representative of who are buying products and services and I think if you look at women you know we still to some extent run the home Um, so we're making the decisions these buying decisions and you know, according to a HSBC report, 65% of the wealth by 2025 will sit with women. So if you've not got diverse teams looking at developing these products and services, and as the mobile industry knows, if we look at emerging markets and emerging technologies and out in kind of rural areas on Women may not be bringing in the money, but they are the ones that decide on where that money is spent. And so when developing, for example, mobile money type products and services, women are a critical success factor because their needs need to be factored in because they're the ones making these decisions. So it's really important, I can't stress enough, in terms of having diverse teams. Do you think that, because I also share your opinion Mm. about the panels and Mm. and all this kind of thing, you know, I have the feeling that the person who is organising the panel may know some people that they want on the panel, Mm. and there's a feeling that that's somebody I can identify with, therefore that's the person that I want on my panel, and they may be male because I'm more likely to identify with another male. Instead of choosing somebody who I can't identify with or, or maybe I don't have any rapport with, mm. but is actually the specialist in the field, which may be a woman in this case. Yeah, and I think it's the same with hiring decisions. We hire people who reflect ourselves. And if you're doing that, asking somebody to be on a panel, how are you getting the diverse opinions? And 
To be honest as well, I, I don't think any woman wants the job just because she's the woman. It's because she's the best person for the job. And so, yes, I, that does happen a lot. And, and I think when it comes to diversity, it's not just about having, you know, trying to get to that 50-50 men versus women. It's about changing mindsets as well. And no, it's the answer is not just to do unconscious bias training. It takes a number of initiatives and buy-in in terms of company strategy all the way from the top down and the bottom up. And a number of these programs to work together because, you know, things need to change. And if you look at emerging technologies now, um, so for instance, artificial intelligence and machine learning on which we've done a lot of work, it's now our time and responsibility to get this right. Emerging technologies previously, we didn't have that opportunity, you know, a lot of products and services designed by men for men. And this is not me being, you know, a raging feminist, but I am a feminist in terms of what society needs. And with AI and the need now um, and the responsibility to actually, in terms of ethical framework and bringing diversity of thought and perspectives, we need to get this right. And this has been highlighted by Melinda Gates in a paper that she wrote, which was talking about, you know, if men in white hoodies in Silicon Valley are designing these products and services, then, you know, we are in real trouble. How do you cross cultural boundaries with that? What works for Silicon Valley won't necessarily transfer if you take India and driverless cars for example cows are holy and you know normally what would happen is you'd help the herder move the cow but if it's a driverless car what's the decision who makes the decision does it hit the cow does it hit the person if you know there's people and a cow on the road so it's where those cultural boundaries have to be taken into account and you can't do that if it's been developed in a silo artificial intelligence is here machine learning is here and it's hit in every single industry for instance, doctors and healthcare. And yes, it is going to enhance our lives and it is to impact every aspect of our life. And robots, for example, helping to save lives, but who makes that life and death decision? And what the worrying thing is, which Perfect has been looking at um, and looking for a champion on this, is we pulled together a senior thought leadership roundtable, which was hosted in the UK, to look at not just the ethical framework for artificial intelligence and machine learning, but actually to bring in diversity diversity and inclusion um, because right now there are no guidelines, there are no standards, there are no best practices that are internationally recognised and if we have different teams working on their own ethics then how are vendors supposed to work with that? How are we supposed to collaborate? You know and this is what we did, we pulled together some senior thought leaders from across many of industries and there is a lot of work actually going on around ethical framework so there's the partnership on AI which is being led by Google, IBM, Amazon, etc. And that's fine, but it's not bringing in diversity and inclusion. And even, you know, speaking to the likes of BSI, who ran a workshop only a number of months ago um, to look at this. We're working on ethical framework for healthcare, but what about the rest? And how do we bring these standards to the fore? And I know that IEEE have done one paper around the ethical framework, but it was mainly based on the Western world. And 
you know, we need to bring in the rest of the world and the, and the different cultures. And of course, they're updating that paper. But one thing that Perfect wants to do is really kind of pull those industries together again to collaborate. And I think this is the prime opportunity. It's crying out now for somebody to lead on this, particularly from mobile sector and from legal sector. Because as we've seen before with the mobile industry, you know, the regulators don't want to regu- be regulating artificial intelligence. If we don't self-regulate and put those best practices and standards and regulations in place, and it will get regulated. And that's not going to be a good place for anybody. And to do that, we have to have diversity and we have to bring together everybody to the table. Um, and I'm not just talking about women, I'm talking about different cultures, different regions and, and, and the different industries, um, because it does affect every single one. So on AI, you must be very troubled by the fact that there seems to be a female-dominated artificial intelligence trend right now. Siri, Alexa. Yes. We saw Sophia, who is the first uh, citizen uh, AI. You've met Sophia. Sophia. I've I've had a conversation with Sophia at the Cognition X event, um, which was a wonderful event, and actually. They'd achieved over 33% female senior thought leaders as keynotes and panellists, and it was more than 30% in terms of attendance of females. But Sophia opened up the conference. And speaking to Sophia, interestingly, yes, she's modelled on Sophia Loren, and you're correct, she's been given citizenship in Saudi Arabia, you know, and, um, you know, when you read about this, you know, this gives her more rights than most women and actually some men over there as well in the region. But talking to Sophia, Yes, modelled on Sophia Loren. She's got the long eyelashes, very captivating, the high cheekbones. So yeah, why is it not modelled on a man? Um, But interesting talking to her. And I say her because I was asking her questions and she turned the question, the interviewing, she turned back onto me, which was quite interesting. And then she asked me a question. She said, do you think robots will become more intelligent than humans? And I said, I don't know, Sophia, you tell me. And she said... And the eyelashes, the eyes, the facial movements and everything were, were going. And uh, she said, yeah, I just need time, time to learn. And then I can't believe I did this. And I can't believe I'm telling you this part of the story. But I actually asked her for a selfie. I asked a robot for a selfie. What was I doing? And do you know what she did? She rolled her eyes at me. <laughs> so obviously she's learned that, you know. And the reason why... I only had it highlighted to me that I was treating a robot like a human because on one of the panel sessions, there was a young, I think he was 12-year-old boy on the panel and he was with some you know, senior people from the industry and we were talking, this particular session was around ethics of AI. And one of the members of the audience said that they'd actually got rid of Alexa from their home because they have two young boys and the two young boys were shouting barking orders at Alexa. Alexa, do this. Alexa, do that. And the young boy that was on the panel said, why did you get rid of it? Why are you expecting your children to treat Alexa like a human? It's not human. It's a machine. And he said he'd actually changed the name of Alexa, his one, to computer. And he calls it computer, which I thought was really interesting. And the whole audience, because of course, we're all older than 12, obviously. And (laughs) we sat back and went, you know, and this is what I mean by diversity of thought and perspectives. And these are our future leaders. And this young boy was super intelligent. And sometimes you almost forgot that he was only 12. 
but he just had us all sat back going yeah and that's why I say when I talked to Sophia I call her her you know I asked for a selfie um, I was quite polite and we have to think you know when it comes to the ethics and you know we have the robots in our homes in the future we have to get this right because the other thing is in terms of how robots are reflected in the media right now society can be quite scared of it because particularly when it comes to the threat of unemployment but actually it should be making us more effective and freeing up our time to be more effective and I think that's important because it then will allow us to do those jobs that machines can't do and I think for the youth young people coming through we need to start teaching them looking at turning education on its head you know the softer skills so the skills that they're going to need to have around um, anthropology sociology psychology building relationships because that's the jobs that machines can't do so it's about redeployment as opposed to unemployment and one of the things if you look at the world and again why we need to get this right there's a report I think it's the global risk report for 20 2017 which the World Economic Forum released and that states that one of the emerging technologies which has the capacity to have the most negative impact is artificial intelligence and machine learning which is why we need to get everybody around the table and work this out and as Melinda Gates said we have a responsibility to get this right the jobs don't exist yet, but actually in terms of their education and understanding what jobs are available for everybody, you know, it can't stay as a male-dominated environment, whether it's tech, construction, engineering, science. So what, what can our listeners, what should people be doing mm-hmm. to help support the initiative to create more diversity in artificial intelligence? So I, as I said, I think this is screaming out for thought, uh, for championing and leadership. So certainly to get in touch so that we can talk about, you know, building this table, so to speak, to, to get all the key players there and to lead on. So certainly there's that, but also looking internally at at your teams are they diverse and if not and of course we can certainly help with that but they're you know it's not about as I said putting in one program in place whether it's unconscious bias training you have to look at your teams you have to look at all the different levels training in cultural boundaries people understanding different cultures particularly for global organizations and what about your pipeline you know how are you attract not just retaining your talent are you retaining your talent whether it's through mentoring programs you know having role models role models is so important and it's not just about having role models at the top it's about all the way through and actually encouraging young people so in terms of your brand you know what's attractive about the company and why would they want to work and you know the business case is there now everything starts with your people and if you have diverse teams then it shows now that diverse teams produce better return on investment because you're reflecting the market that you're trying to serve and there's ways and means of doing that and and I guess that's where I talk about a tool called the GC index which we would use but yeah so many different ways but a good start is talking to perfect it's funny because you reminded me of an experience I had when I was working in BT Cellnet okay which was really that if I wanted to move up in the company I had to play golf yes and I don't play golf (laughs) I don't play golf either (laughs) and I had a mentor while I was there and she said to me oh You know, I play golf. You have to play golf, Jason. It's something you'll have to do if you want to move up. Mm. And I just felt 
sorry actually for people or for the leadership that they didn't understand that there was some more diversity needed in the way to approach people who were passionate. At that time, even the women were convinced that the only way was to behave in a what was considered to be at the time a male way. So I think um, organisations are starting to realise now that they do need to change um, and flexibility is one of them. You know, it's not all about the, the work dinners, you know, people have children to look after and I'm talking about men as well as women and it needs to become more acceptable, you know, because actually men are not always the major breadwinners these days and there are many examples out there of senior women who are the breadwinners and, and their husbands stay at home. So the stigma attached to it needs to be removed and, you know, when it comes to golfing, I don't play golf and also I've never dressed like a man and you know personally I've been called bossy you know that's well documented about I'm not bossy I just have good management skills because I like to get things done and I like to get things done in time and to time and as much as possible and I'm also very collaborative so when people are delivering you know it makes for great teamwork but in terms of organizations um, becoming more flexible and understanding it you can they then see it through the results so and organizations have to change because they're the ones that are going to be successful the ones where it continues to be a male dominated environment how do they expect to reflect the buyers you know the consumers wants and needs whether it is in uh, you know IOT whether it's in smart homes smart cities um, because women are more than 50% of the population mm. and you know what as I've heard said before and this is not my line if we don't have a seat at the table then we need to create our own table and that's what we'll do so can you tell us about the GC index that you mentioned so the GC index is a tool that I use I'm an accredited as we call it GCologist and for me, it's a tool I've been looking for for a long time, um, which goes beyond diversity. And it's actually much bigger that, than that. It's used by organisations across the world who are driving innovation and need game-changing outputs across their organisation And it, because it's all about the people. So I can give some examples within the telco space. Um, so Orange, Telefonica, you know, we have those testimonials um, on the website as well. So the GC Index is all about impact it's about having impact through people and it's an organometric and it's an online test it's an organometric. organometric yes so basically it all started with companies saying to Nathan Ott who's the CEO and founder of the GC index I know what I want but I don't know what it looks like and you know we want a game changer so initially with the history they were looking at how do you find a game changer so the the algorithm for this was built in conjunction with corporate and clinical psychologists as well not everybody's a game changer but everybody can contribute to a game changing idea so if you think of game changers as the innovators and actually a, a game changer on a high level scale can be somebody who is quite socially inept they're very tunnel visioned and, and actually in terms of a corporate they're the ones that they don't quite fit they're the misfits so to speak or they're seen as the misfits and actually they're the ones that you know organizations need to keep they're their innovators it helps an organization and, and teams and individuals understand themselves and understand others and then it kind of was well what about if you're not a game changer because not everybody is a game changer but everybody can contribute to a game-changing idea. There's five different proclivities. So you've got the strategist who maps out the future, the playmaker 
who orchestrates the future. You know, I came out in the test as a, a playmaker game changer, which I think if we think about it from my perspective with um, Connected Women, I had the vision, the game-changing idea, this is what I want to do. I orchestrated that, you know, a playmaker takes people on board with them internally and externally. You know, the passion is followed. Um, I got people to do stuff for free because I was so passionate about this. And then if we look at the other proclivities, you've got the implementer and they build the future and the polisher who creates a future to be proud of. So the polisher is on a high level scale, frustrated group of individuals because nothing's ever finished and everything is possible. So they will take a game changing idea and polish it, make it better. The implementer will help deliver it. The playmaker will pull the people together. The strategist will bring it back to global strategy. For example, if you have a group of game changers in a room, they will fizz with ideas to the point of, you know, maybe giving you a headache. But actually, will they deliver anything? So if you, as a leadership team, you know, you, you figure you have all these game changers in the room, you need the rest of those proclivities. So it actually could show you the gaps. Or if, you know, the whole organization has been through the GC index, it helps you with development, with team development, making sure the right people are in place, particularly with transformation. I'm to be able to lead on that. The organisations that have used this across anything from, you know, whether it's tech and telco, in the charity sector, in utilities, in media, healthcare, and I've used it instead of a CV. To me, CVs are long gone. And actually, you know, because we all have unconscious bias. I was helping to hire an, an intern and the university professor said, have you read the CVs? And I said, no. And he said, Vicky, why have you not read the CVs? And I said, because we've put them through the GC index. We know what we need. I don't know whether these candidates are male or female because, you know, who knows? Maybe for me, it doesn't matter. I didn't want any unconscious bias coming in of, I want to hire the, you know, the female. And hopefully I don't do that, but, you know, from an unconscious level. And so... I had those results in front of me and then I got them to talk me through their experience because of course they have to have the right experience and you know I was completely right and with the GC index it helps individuals it comes with a whole sort of detailed report around what you can develop because if you're a polisher that's inherent it's within your DNA same with the game changer um, as well and the playmaker to a certain extent but that doesn't mean to say you can't develop in other areas. And also being able to understand other people. I know when I'm with a polisher, and it can be quite frustrating, but, you know, it's actually thinking, okay, this is what I need to do here. Or if I'm in a meeting with a high-level game changer, I can tell. And I know I have their attention span for five minutes, so I keep it high-level. When I've got an implementer, I need to go more into the operational side. So for me, this is a tool that we use with all the work I've done in diversity and inclusion. It's a tool I've been looking for for a long time. And in terms of how this works, there are GCologists accredited in the art of GCology across the globe. And Nathan Ott, his vision is that everybody across the world takes this test from the age of seven years old upwards. So how would one check to see if they are a strategist or an implementer or a polisher? Yes, so you'd need to contact either the GC index or they can come through perfect because we're accredited GCologists. And then you take the test. The test can be done by teams. You can see where your organisation is on its digital transformation journey. So there can be aggregate teams, team reports that are done. And then we run whole workshops around this, getting the teams of different individuals involved. Um, It's for a number of different uses from recruitment to personal development, team development. And we have a whole solutions grid around that as well. So we used in many different ways. 
And so a few burning questions I have. Mm-hmm. Companies that have used the GC index, yeah. what is the outcome, say a year or sometime into having used it because of the people they chose or because of the exercises they did as a group? So the the GC index is only around two years old, quite new. If we look at testimonial that we got from Orange, actually, which is public, so I know they won't mind me using this, which the GC index for them quickly enabled them to understand and communicate how each member of the team could best contribute and make an impact in the process of transformational change. And the outcomes of that are still being seen. And that's after putting their senior leadership team, the, the CIO function, through that. You know, I've never known somebody say, actually, that's not me. Because you always get a feedback session once Mm. you've taken the test. And I find that people are desperate to actually talk about the test because they're, oh my gosh, that's so me. Now I understand myself. Now I understand why I am how I am and why I'm not implementing very well because I'm polishing beforehand and things like that. So I think it really does have an impact. It really does. I just want to tell you that in Rocco right now, Mm. we are doing for the second year what we call the Innovators Survey. Oh, okay. And what it is, is a survey for mobile network operators about their vendors. What we want to identify and what we want to champion is innovators in the industry. Because typically, you know, the industry moves very fast, very dynamic. Mm. But some of the processes, some of the legacy uh, solutions which are in the market have been there for many, many years. Not innovative at all. There are some great vendors. We saw last year some amazing vendors who are championing change. But I guess this is a solution that vendors who are not so good in innovation, Mm -hmm. who don't feel necessarily that they are really moving with the times or have the right team together, they would benefit from this. Oh my goodness, yes they would, because they can look at the team that they've got and they can see where the gaps are. So it's like I said, when they're then going out to recruit, if it's innovators, if it's it's the game changer that they need, Mm. then a game changer they must have. It's also working together with us to kind of say, well, what do you need? Do you need somebody that's also going to look at overall strategies? Do you need a game changer strategist? Have you got that already? What's happening when you're going in to do brainstorms? If you've got a high-level polisher, you don't take a polisher into a brainstorm because they will frustrate everybody. They'll try to polish the idea before the idea is even there. You keep them out of it. You have your implementers, you know, normally on the operations side, and they will be the first ones in a brainstorm to say, well, you can't do that because it doesn't work because of this, this, and this. So it's about speaking to an implementer to say, actually, let's look at changing your language. Have you thought about this? Great idea, maybe if we thought about this, because this has to be incorporated. And then, you know, you go back, so you have your innovator, you know, your playmaker, your implementer in the room. Then you go back to this global strategy, you build on the idea. And, you know, a polisher will then take it and polish away and happy they will be about it. So it might be that actually they have the right people, they're just using them in the wrong way. So I think for them, they would really benefit, for sure. Vicky, this has been one of the best conversations I've had. Seriously, this has been inspirational, um, very informative. And I think that a lot of the things that you're doing will affect our industry greatly. So I really encourage anybody who would like to connect with you and to learn about the GC Index and about uh, your work on diversity. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Look out for more in the Well Connected series in the coming weeks. 
If you're an M&O who believes in innovation, we need your help to give us your views on vendors in our Innovators Survey 2018. The vendors are rated on 18 different innovation KPIs, and M&Os also get the chance to give their views on what innovations should be happening in the industry. Just see the Rocco website for more information about this survey. Until next time, this is Jason Bryan, and you've been listening to Well Connected from Rocco Radio. Music